0: Uh, this morning, Becky Frazier is going to be uh, leading our discussion. Becky is an MDiv student at Lipscomb uh, and um, a great teacher and preacher, I think. She also led our uh, homily for the Easter Sunrise Service. So if you happen to be at the Easter Sunrise Service last <laughs> uh, spring, uh, you'll know Becky. But she's fairly new to the Otter Creek community, and you'll see her around quite a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking forward to it this morning. So Becky, Thank you. let me...
1: We're going to start off this morning um, by reading from Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, it's pretty short um, chapter, so we'll read the whole thing. If I can get three volunteers to read, uh, somebody will read 1 through 10, somebody else 11 through 21, and the last person 22 to, through 33. We'll do 1 through 10, 11 through 21, and one more person. Stephen, 22 through 33. All right, go ahead.
2: Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them, and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at or. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid. You were afraid of the fire and did not go up on the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You should not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments.
3: You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the lord your god has commanded you six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god on it you shall not do any work neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your ox your donkey or any of your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns so that your male and female servants may rest as you do remember that you were slaves in egypt and the lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land his male or female servant his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to
4: your neighbor these words the lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire the cloud in the thick darkness with a loud voice and he added no more and he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me so it was when he heard the voice from the midst of While the mountain was burning with fire, it became dear to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with men, yet he still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, and we shall die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speak from the midst of the fire, as we have and live? You go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say, and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words this people which they have spoken to you they are right in all that they have spoken oh that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all of my commandments that it may be well with them and with their children forever. go and say to them return to your tents but as for you stand here by me and I will speak to you all the commandments the statutes and the judgments which you shall teach that they may observe them in the land which I am given them to possess. Therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall
1: So this is Moses' second address to the people of Israel. Um, I apologize, I wasn't here the first couple of weeks, so I don't know how the class was introduced. Um, But this is a transition time where the people of Israel are moving from uh, the years of wandering into the land that they're about to possess. And so the the rules and how they dealt with each other uh, when there was a a tabernacle that was moving around, when when they were uh, sharing things a little more, when they were living in one place and didn't really have property, um, is going to change a little bit in this new land. And also the generation before has now died, and there's a new generation that's coming into this land uh, that was not there that to hear the original words. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to bring up is that Moses is clear that this covenant is with these people now, not uh, not with the forefathers that heard it at Mount Horeb. It's with this generation now, uh, for the people that are taking the <coughs> land. And the reason that he's telling them this is Uh, Because he is the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And that sentence right there is going to kind of frame this entire, um, really the entire book, um, but especially this chapter and these Ten Commandments. Uh, The reason they are to live like this is because he is their Lord, and he brought them out of slavery. Um, So the first three commandments... Um, The the way that they're ordered, the first three are vertical commandments, some call them. And so these are going to be the ones that uh, that talk about the relationship between uh, God and his people. Do not have any other gods before me. Uh, Don't take the Lord's name in vain and don't have any uh, carved images, which we heard a lot about last week. Thank you for that. Uh, The fourth is a transition. The fourth is about the Sabbath. Um, And it has to do with relationship between um, Israel and God, but it also has to do with relation between Israel and other people. Um, God and Moses are very clear um, that slaves, sojourners, and livestock are included in the Sabbath, and so uh, part of the reason for the Sabbath um, is so that... They will imitate God. God rested on the seventh day so they also are going to rest on the seventh day. Um, In the words of Philip Camp, uh, it's to remind them that there is a God in heaven and you are not him. Uh, So it's a day to to cease uh, making things, cease the hustle and just rest and trust that God is going to provide. Uh, And then lastly it is a way they will show all the nations, um, you know this is a novel idea, there's nowhere else in the ancient Near East that had this day of rest that was required for everyone. Uh, Some of the wealthier people may have gotten to rest, but slaves never got to rest, land didn't get to rest, animals didn't get to rest, and this is something that really sets apart the Israelites. Um, And then the the last few have to do with, uh, five through 10 have to do with the horizontal commands the relationship between Israel and other people. But one thing I want to note about this is the relationship between Israel and other people in Israel and in other nations is always based on their relationship with God. So those first three, um, you know, the last five, even though they have to do with other people, it's because of their relationship with God that they are treating people the way that God has asked them to treat them. Um, So I have some questions for you guys. the first one is, what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? I want this to be very interactive, so let me know, based on our reading, what you guys think.
5: Let's create a, uh, a moral fiber. Okay.
1: Moral fiber.
4: I think it's, a, I think it's uh, a summary of the entire covenant, all the commands yep. that you see throughout the for, uh, I guess, what, starting at Exodus and continuing on. These are kind of, this is, this would be a summary Mm -hmm. of all of it.
1: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the the following uh, rest of the book, from 6 through the very end, uh, you can trace sections and individual um, laws and decrees back to um, any one of these Ten Commandments. So they are the foundation. Um, And these are the ones that were spoken before everyone, um, before the entire nation. The others were between God and Moses, and Moses is teaching them, but these were the ones that God spoke to everyone. What else?
0: I think part of the purpose, I think, is to name, you know, it does summarize all of the law of the Torah. I think part of it is to name the terms of the covenant. So anytime a covenant is established, you know there are co- there are terms for each party that are entering into the covenant, and these effectively serve as the terms for the Israelite people. And then elsewhere we see that God anticipates that they're not going to be a- able to uphold these perfectly, and so He puts in clauses for them to um, overcome that. But but essentially these are the t- these are the terms um, for them to accept Him as. A as, as their God
1: and so uh, I guess the follow up question of that is is why why would there be a covenant in the first place what's the purpose of of Israel what is their role in the world
4: To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, is not included in the Ten Commandments. And it's, if, if this is somewhat chronological, it's mentioned after the Ten Commandments. Right. And I just find it it kind of, it still kind of perplexes me that it's not <coughs> one of the Ten Commandments. But I just wonder if loving the Lord your God is not is displayed through obedience through to the commandments.
1: Yep, absolutely. I think another purpose of this and, and the purpose between Israel's covenant, uh, we'll see it again and again in the book of Deuteronomy and elsewhere, um, is this land of Israel is supposed to be a light to the nations. They are supposed to look different so that God can be glorified in the world. Uh, they're supposed to be set apart as holy. Um, They're not supposed to look like the people um, that are in the land that they're going to inhabit. They're not supposed to worship those gods. They're not supposed to treat people the way that those people treat people. They're set apart, and the purpose of that set-apartness is to glorify God and to bring others to him. Um, I know we touched on this earlier, but uh, what was the purpose of Moses retelling the commandments to Israel at this time?
6: the original commandments were given to the generation before, them. this is the huge <laughs> issue. It strikes me. I read you this morning, and it strikes me. Yeah. Yes, I, it's, not <laughs> 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 it's not that long.
1: It's not that long. It's not that
6: long. It's really not. It, it strikes me that um, that in the re, I, he keeps on talking about the idols, and you know all this. I'm like. Why? I mean, okay, you said that back, you said that in the previous chair. Why, why are you saying that again? And, it, and then it struck me that while he's on the mountain to go get the Ten Commandments, they're making an eye. Yeah. I mean, they're so affected by what they saw in Egypt that what he's, what, they're trying, what he's trying to teach is that you are a new nation. This is something, you're going to be a light to the world. i got to teach you what that means. I, it, it struck me.
1: I love what you had to say last week about uh, one of the reasons that they were not allowed to to make idols or um graven images was uh, because it is the image of god is in people Mm -hmm. Um, we are image bearers and so to to make something out of stone or clay or uh, something else that is supposed to represent god would um, potentially have uh, the ramification of not treating other people as though they were made in the image of god as well and so that's one of the reasons that uh, Israel is called to be set apart in this way. Anybody else have any other thoughts? Yeah, I just
7: wonder, uh, you know, talking about the generation that, that the gap generation, and, uh, the modern way we talk about that is the loss of institutional knowledge, I think is what we say it a lot of times in the more corporate, modern corporate sense. But, you know, I have to wonder, you know, Thirty, four years is a long time. Uh, how how familiar was it? I mean, it's hard to look back in history to, to understand what people in a five, ten-year period of time, how they would have viewed a particular thing from 20, 30 years prior to their time. Right. And I, I'm struck by uh, some curiosity with respect to how familiar or was this, you know, was this, these commandments sort of hovering over them, you know, in a, in a vague sense, you know, the, the restating of them kind of
4: impacted
1: that. Right. I don't know. Right. Uh, I, I often wonder that as well because the tabernacle was with them um, and so they could see God's presence uh, when they were traveling and the, the original Ten commandments were, was in the Ark of the Covenant that was going with them throughout this time. Uh, but in regards to, you know, would they remember that? It seems like the Israelites have a pretty short memory span where they would forget what happened last week where God provided food for them and now they're upset because they're hungry again. Um, And that's not to pick on the Israelites, I think we can be like that um, today as well.
3: Well, I, I think your question, your comment kind of leads into your third question because one of the key things that I see out of retelling the commandments right now and this being that new covenant is that Everything that happened with that previous generation, then that previous generation really screwed things up. And they cost you guys all this time in the wilderness and all of this stuff did not happen because of what they did. I'm not holding that against your generation. We stop this after one generation of problems and you guys get a new start. But he goes on and just in verses nine and 10 and he's talking about I am a jealous God punishing the children of the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And he's not doing that here. He's He's kind of granting them, um, I mean, it's, it's sort of a mulligan. Yeah. Israel gets a mulligan. That's a
1: great
3: point. So it's, it's one generation and we start over. Now, from here, it's gonna be three or four. But this time, what they did, we're not holding against you. We are, we are not, you are not your parents.
1: That's a
0: great point. Thank you for that. I think going back to Logan's query, I, I don't know, but I would think that it would be fairly familiar to them. I assume in those 40 years that they were practicing the Passover memorial as they were commanded to do, and, and which, of course, the very purpose of that is to build that communal memory, the institutional memory, to, to tell the story to the next generation. So, you know, obviously that's not directly part of the, the Ten Commandments are not directly part of that,
1: uh, well, that they, story. They would have had a reminder to keep the Sabbath because the manna didn't fall right, on, the, that's on right. the Sabbath, and so that would that's be
0: right. So, and with God tabernacling among them, I feel like it would have just been part of their story, part of their narrative, part of their rhythm. But, like you said, Becky, it seems like they have a short memory a lot of times, as we would too, but... So, I, I don't know exactly. It seems like it, they would be familiar. It seems like when Moses gets up to, to give this second telling, they would say, Yep, we, we are familiar with this. But it's almost like it's not a new sermon. It's almost like we need to represent the terms so that we can ratify this covenant with this new generation. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, absolutely.
1: And the, the caveat here is when you follow these commands, things are going to go well with you in the land. And I think one of the main concerns that God and Moses have is what's going to happen when things do go well? When you do have enough food, uh, when your children are taken care of, when you have money, um, are you going to make slaves out of other people? Or are you going to go to war with other people? Or are you going to want a king? Or are you going to turn to other gods and thank those other gods for making it rain and your crops grow? Um, so I think he's, in some ways, Moses and God are both more concerned with, um, with what's going to happen when things go well than when they have to rely on God for everything. Anybody else have any comments about that second question?
2: I think it's important for us to remember that God is so much bigger than we tend to think about Him. And I know today, I think we really want to emphasize the loving. God is multifaceted. And so here you see kind of uh, almost opposites
1: in his personality. Um, I guess that's okay. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it really leads us into um, question three, which we've kind of touched on. Um, is what do you guys make of 9 and 10? Uh, it's a it's kind of tricky. It's something that's not necessarily comfortable to read. Um, so we'll have somebody read it out loud, if, if somebody will, just so we can get a reminder, and then we'll discuss it.
3: You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments.
1: So I think some of us today would, would think it's unfair that the third and fourth generation who didn't have anything to do with the, the sin of the parents or grandparents or great-grandparents would be punished for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you guys make of this? What does it tell us about God um, in these couple of verses? I
2: doubt if these consecutive generations knew God or loved them as the parents. So I don't think it was that he was taking good people who were trying to live for him and saying, no. You know, I think it was a generation
1: after generation he yeah. just honored he showed his right. That's a great point. How you're raised has a tendency to impact how, how you live and how you raise your children.
2: I think once again, it just shows that he wants our whole heart. Mm-hmm. He, he's not, he's not going to be satisfied
1: Absolutely. I think
2: it's interesting that he uses the words who hate me, like mm. not who disobey or who screw up every now and then or who forget. I
1: mean
2: hate's pretty strong. Like that's a non believer, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, but you could also argue based on what we were saying earlier that showing love towards God is obeying his commands and treating people the way he um, calls us into covenant to treat people um, and so if you're not doing that, if you're not following those those rules, not to say that you know anybody can live up to them, we're all going to make mistakes um, but part of living in covenant is living in obedience to what God has called us to
4: mm-hmm.
1: but you make a great point that he says those who hate me absolutely
3: because it's so hard for us to visualize what the punishment of God looks like because it's it's impossible for us to extricate that from
5: mm-hmm.
3: the the world that we live in. So it's 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 not like we can see God coming along and thumping sons and grandchildren on the head and going, that's for what your parents did. It it, it can be helpful to look at consequences of generational sin and see how how long it takes that to play out. There's another passage of scripture where it talks about 10 generations and i was in a class once where they said look at the problems that america has had because of slavery Mm. for 150 years after that for multiple generations and it keeps it keeps playing out it keeps screwing things up. Every gen- it, it reiterates in every generation a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. But now, even, even now in 2017, we are having to wrestle with the things that our great, great, great grandparents, and before them did, that we had nothing direct to do mm-hmm. with, but we're still you know, on, on both sides, white and black, we are still having to work out the sins that a group of people committed 150 years ago. And so we, we, when you think about it in terms of that, that, that kind of generational sin it takes a long time to get them back on track.
1: Yeah, that's a great example. There's
4: a rabbinic parable about a group of people in a boat and one man starts to chop a, a hole in the boat underneath him and the other, and the other people say, what are, you, what are you doing? You can't do this to the boat. And he says, no, I'm doing it under my seat, not yours. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, obviously it can work the other direction. If, if we, through doing the commands, mend the hole in the boat, we save more people than just ourselves. Uh, so the commands are not individual but communal you need all of the people sold out for God doing as he says all the commandments not just your favorites yeah. not just the ones that you prefer or are easy for you um, and it like we said it affects the people around us and after us um so anyway
1: it's a strike it's a strikingly really funny but true terrible yeah absolutely thank you yes
4: you know
5: dealing with dealing with stuff like that i think uh, where you've got a whole piece of cloth or a boat and you have these holes being ripped out of it and you know and people affected by that if if we can't uh, agree that that whole problem Guy, if we can't or other people can't go, well, you know, we're grappling whether or not that's really a bad thing. We can't agree about it, you know, and it it and it permeates itself in, in our institutions, our schools, our churches, where if the body can't agree that murdering someone's bad, or that stealing someone's wife or possessions is bad, if we can't all agree, then we left we really start destroying the moral fiber, the moral fabric of our, of our country, of our, if we can't agree that all of slavery is bad, and you know, just the top few elites that make all the rules keep enslaving us, and we, we keep saying, well, that's okay in that instance, or that instance is better in that's that case, if we can't agree that it's bad, then our moral fiber, or the heart of our institution, the heart—I mean, we see it in our in our city. You know, the growth of our city. Are we going to lose the heart of our city? Like the the uh, hospitality that Nashville has been known for for hundreds of years because of us losing that knowledge of what <coughs> makes up our our moral fiber, our moral fabric. Yeah. So, Absolutely. That makes sense. No, it did. It's a great point. Thank you.
1: Somebody over here,
5: go ahead. King James has father instead of parents. And I think it's God is telling the fathers if you, if you worship other gods and your children, they see you doing it, they're going to follow. It. Mm. It's like a direct order don't do this.
1: Yep. Absolutely. It adds some extra accountability to, um, to the head of the household, the, the parents, to say what I do is not just impacting me, it's impacting um, my children. Um, and in this time we have to remember that people um, lived in um, family households um, where you would have generations of people that lived in one household. And so a grandfather um, who was turning towards idols, his entire house uh, would sort of by default as well because that is what he had brought into the house.
7: I not here for class, said, so. <laughs> uh, I remember in our Genesis class we talked about how maybe this stuff could have been written, or maybe was written after the Babylonian captivity. And back to your point.
1: That's a really good point. They had seen in action uh, this whole generational sin and what happens when uh, when their sin turned into into families years and years before.
3: And there's evidence that the audience for the book is that Babylonian yeah. it is more around the time of Babylonian audience. So it's it's kind of it's kind of a history lesson for them, in addition to being the actual history.
1: That's a great
8: point. I hadn't thought of that. Yes. You know, as I try to understand, uh, particularly verse nine, um, I can't help but relate my own personal experience and my cultural uh, experiences to try to understand uh, this punishment to the third and fourth generations. I've been able to see four generations of my family—from my grandfather, my father, myself, and my son and um, in that personal experience, I have seen my grandfather who did not treat uh, his wife in a way that was godly, uh, verbally abusive. Um, and I saw it in my own father to a much lesser degree. And I experienced it myself, even to a lesser degree than my father. And now I see in my son, it's been wiped out. Hmm. Uh, and then uh, and, and that was a learned behavior. Nobody mm-hmm. said, okay, this is how you're gonna do it. Yeah. It was just by observation and, and experience. Then I, I had a small glimpse into um, culture where it was godless in Russia, and had some contacts with as many as four generations. And you can't talk to the older generation about God because of their belief in atheism. Mm-hmm. And now and then you move forward to the fourth generation, which is the, the very young people over there and they were, they were finally now at least beginning to listen so you see that progression that happens. And so I think for me, the punishment is not an overt thumping on the head. Right. I think the punishment is our separation from what God wants us to be and how he just experience.
1: Absolutely, I think that's great. I wanna bring up one more thing before we move on to the next question. So um, we talked mainly in this about um, the punishment to the third and fourth generation, but nobody mentioned the fact that God would show mercy to uh, thousands of generations. So um, I think a, a better way to translate that would be to thousands of people. But if we take this thousand generation literally Uh, God is showing favor 250 times more than he shows punishment which tells us quite a bit about God and also how he uses punishment Um, you know how he talks about the years that Israel wonders while that was a punishment for them that was also a honeymoon period where they were drawing closer to God where they were learning more about his character Um, and so I think that our our context of what punishment is and what the purpose is might tend to this a little bit so I just wanted to to bring that up But I do want to talk about Sabbath, because I think it's awesome, um, and we don't have very much time left. So um, what about Sabbath? Um, If you'll notice, there's more information here and more commands about Sabbath um, within the Ten Commandments um, than there is about any of the other commandments. Uh, So what do you make of that? What do you think the purpose was for the people of Israel? And do you think any of this still applies to us today?
3: I think this is going to be one of, the clear, one of the things that takes us three or four generations to be Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: What, what do you mean by that? Nobody gets a day off. Oh. I mean, and, and, and we, I mean, because I remember as a kid when almost nothing was open on Sundays. Yeah. And now, almost everything. You know, now Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays and that's it. Yeah. Um it, 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 I mean, even, even restaurants mm-hmm. that would have been closed on Sunday now, they close on Monday. Right. Because mm-hmm. Sunday's such a good day. And I I think that, you know, and we, we get a lot more done mm-hmm. and everybody makes a lot more money. And it, um, you know and we're only in maybe the second generation. Yeah.
1: Our culture values that sense of busyness and of productivity, you know, when you ask somebody how they're doing, the default response is, oh, so busy, which means the same thing is yeah. I'm I'm doing fine. Um, and so that's definitely something I think we'll see ramifications of in, in our generation and later as well.
3: But I, I worked I worked a job for the longest time where I was always on. Because I mean, because I, I was a reporter and news was always happening, right. so I had to be here to cut it. And I remember when I left when I left the job, the day after I left the job was the first night where I slept like eight full hours that I could remember because I always woke up at two o'clock in the morning to check my email. I mean just yeah. because that's how my body had trained itself. I woke up at two o'clock in the morning to check my email to see who had died that I needed to get up and write about. And it didn't happen always, but it happened enough that there were days where I got up at two and I started writing so the story would be ready at five when everybody came in. And I, worked, and I worked constantly. And then having a job where I uh, got weekends, I got nights off, I got to know my family. You know, I missed them when they left instead of thinking, great, now I can get some work done. Um, and, and so yeah. it's, that's, I've I've seen that ramp up in my personal life the way I've seen it ramp up in the culture and and my kids have seen it ramp up and so that will be a thing that they have to work through and that their kids have to work through. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Does anybody in here have any kind of Sabbath or day off practice? No. Okay. Mm. That's great. I know a lot of people who completely unplug one day of the week.
2: I have written this and it's not my words, and I'm not sure who I'm quoting here maybe Andy Stanley <clears throat> but it said the Sabbath is to remind us of his provision that it's enough yep and I am to rest in his faithful abundant care absolutely and I think all through the years I've never really understood what that, what that was about but to just stop and turn off the phone or whatever it is whatever discipline i'm choosing as i start that sabbath to say
1: you're enough it's it's a reminder that the world keeps spinning without you helping it along um, I, I grew up in a, in a culture and a context where um, Sabbath was, was an example of one of those things that we no longer had to do because of Jesus. That's a, an old law that um, was restrictive and bad, and now because of Jesus, we don't have to do this anymore. But a couple of weeks ago, um, I was in Israel for, um, for Sabbath, and I was at the Western Wall when Sabbath came in. And I have never seen such a celebration in my life. Strangers were dancing with each other. There were these circles of people dancing and singing. Um, They were all going to go home. People that are there visiting that are Jewish, uh, that are not Israeli, would go to homes of people that they had just met to celebrate Shabbat. Um, It was one of the most beautiful things I had ever seen. And for them, it's not this restrictive thing of, oh, we have to do this. It's we get to do this. God has privileged us with this. I just thought that was, um, it changed me for sure.
6: I think another, by the way, you stayed on the women's side.
1: Um, we, we peeked over to the guy's side, but the rest of the women were doing it too. So. I but uh,
6: I, think, I think one of the things that's lost, too, about Sabbath is, for me, Sabbath is the word hagios, which means, we translate it holy, which means separate and apart, mm-hmm. set apart. And I, I think one of the things that's lost in Sabbath, when, when I was growing up, it would be unheard of for us to play baseball games or do anything on so, Saturday. We've lost that. But I keep going back to, um, what's the Chariots of Fire guy, Eric? Uh, you pre, know what I'm talking pre- about? pre Yeah. Fein they, fein, no, that's Pre-Fontanian. Pre- but and I, in my generation, Sandy Koufax, mm, yeah. the, the uh, fourth game of the World Series, he said, I won't pitch. Mm-hmm. I'm a you and we've lost that. We've lost it. And you can't go to Israel and not celebrate Sabbath because you have to go up a Shabbat elevator. Exactly.
1: The buses it's, don't run. Buses, I mean, it's... Yep.
6: You can't do it. Yeah. We, we've lost that.
1: Yeah. I, I've
7: struggled with uh, that word work because uh, the type of work that Brian described is the type of work that I also try to, to stay away from on Sunday Unremunerative work, what, what brings in that picture. But I've heard people say uh, that they won't know the yard on Sundays because it's it's work. And so uh, I've wondered how far we, you know, does that mean we don't clean our kitchen on Sunday? I've tried to, I've tried, I, I've wrestled with it a little bit because uh, uh, work, rest, those are very, they're culturally related. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've struggled with what, what the real impact of this
2: should
6: be in the
2: bottom Yeah, absolutely.
6: Well, we're not talking about Saturday versus Sunday. I don't think we're <laughs> a you <know>, legalistic discussion. <laughs> right. But, you know, it's hard not to work on Sunday running a retail store. Yeah. But also, um, I love reading the Sunday paper. And chances are most always going to go out and eat. After church today, and we're contributing to that as well just by participating in any, any kind of
1: church. Um, that is something that was touched on in uh, the Philip Camp book that I read. That you know the question is, should we go out on Sunday and, and uh, ask people to work? Um, and the, the answer that he gave was, uh, I thought a really good one was, you know, this is this is something that we as Christians should be um, thinking about for ourselves and planning for ourselves. And what that looks like for you will be different than what it looks like for me. Um, but our culture is not there, it's not caught up. And so I think if you are going to go out and participate, um, then our call is again to be set apart, to be holy. And so our reaction to uh, waiters that might be a little slower on Sunday because of the Sunday rush or how we tip people or how we treat people or um, you know how we how we um, talk to our children and our families on these days, I think um, is, is a good step towards um, remembering that this is a day that's set apart to be holy.
0: I also think, um, you have to. You certainly have to gauge. You know what level of work is is okay or acceptable for you. Um, but in in Israel I and mean, traditionally Jews do a tremendous amount of work on Thursdays yes, in the, on to order prepare. to get ready for Friday night, mm-hmm. which is the beginning of Shabbat, for Saturday. So there's, you know, it's just like we're familiar with that when we go on vacation. If anybody takes a vacation, usually the week before <laughs> is terrible, and then the week after, you know, you have to catch up. But so you have to do all this extra work in order to get ready for the break. And, um, and there's a lot of variation. You know, like a Hasidic Jew won't turn on a light switch because that's right. like akin to building a fire. Um, but, and that varies just like what we would have in Christian culture where we vary on interpretations. But what, whatever we adopt, I, I think we just have to figure out what works to keep us in that rhythm and then adhere
4: to that.
1: Absolutely. Um, I apologize. It is 10.50, um, so we probably need to run out of here. I wish we could spend two more weeks on this because I'm fascinated by all of this. But uh, thank you so much thank for you. coming Yay. today and for your attention. Girl power! I'm thinking about
7: Sundays, my mom. A you know, whole lot of work if she's cooking. You know, so <laughs> she, she would <laughs> love to have that. to